The Irish Times Inside Politics podcast is going to be holding another live event. This one is in central Dublin on Thursday, May the 16th at 8am. We are going to be in Medley in Dublin too. We only have a few tickets left, so if you want to join me in conversation with head of Ipsos polling in the US, Cliff Young, along with Pat Leahy and Jennifer Bray, looking at the polling in Ireland in the run-up to the European and local elections, just go to irishtimes.com slash events where you can get your tickets. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and you're very welcome to this politics podcast from the Irish Times. It's another one of the additional ones we're doing in the run-up to the referendum on the Eighth Amendment. I'm Hugh Linehan and with me in studio today were Sarah Barden and Pat Leahy from our political staff and also Liz Carolyn of Transparent Referendum Initiative, which has been in the news a lot over the last while because digital advertising and the digital debate has been at the heart of what's going on. Liz, did you think when you set up the Transparent Referendum Initiative that you'd have such a dramatic week just two weeks out from the referendum as we've had? I certainly didn't, to be honest. You know, um, I, uh, I've i been kind of interested in this area for quite a long time. And normally, you know, people kind of switch off when you start talking about algorithms and politics and uh, social media ads and things. So, you know, it's 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 been, I think it's been quite a journey for, for everybody in terms of get, all getting our heads around this topic over the last couple of months. Um, and I think this week has been sort of especially dramatic uh, in kind of throwing it into sort of relief and what it can mean for uh, for for politics and ultimately actually in this occasion for our constitution, you know. So, so, so for the benefit of those of our listeners who don't know, your organisation has been monitoring um, and crowdsourcing observations of what's happening over the course of the campaign in terms of the ads that people are actually seeing in their social media and other digital channels. That's right. So we've been building uh, basically a, a list of ads that have been placed targeting Irish people on Facebook that are related to the referendum. Uh, And so we've been doing this by kind of asking people to, um, it's quite technical, but basically uh, use a thing on their their web browser that will capture all that information and feed it into, into a database. And so we've made that database available to the public. And we're actually up around kind of six or seven hundred ads that have been collected through that mechanism at the moment, um, which is a lot more actually than I thought we would be seeing. And actually that number itself is only a fraction of all of the ads that are out there. Um, And of course, Facebook is only a fraction of all the digital ads that are out there. So, um, you know, it it seems to be that the digital part of this campaign um, you know, is is at, at a minimum very very active. A lot of actors are very active. We're seeing kind of almost two hundred different Facebook pages who are doing ads. And again, that's a fraction of 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 the fuller picture. 
And it certainly seems to be that there's a lot of money kind of sloshing around um, online. And, you know, part of our rationale for doing the project was that while, you know, a billboard or a poster that you see on the street kind of A, has a name on it that says who's kind of paid for it and B, everyone can kind of see it. And if it's off the wall, you know, it'll end up on Joe Duffy the next day or something. Um, a lot of the stuff that's happening on digital is only actually seen by a select number of people. Um, it doesn't have to say who has paid for it or where it's come from. Um, and also it's just, you know, it's it's not open to that same level of kind of collective scrutiny where we all get to look at it and say, actually, that's not an OK image or that's not true. And given the, the, the limitations on how much you were actually able to see, you were really only seeing presumably, hopefully, a representative percentage of the, of, of the overall. What patterns did you see emerging over the, over the last, particularly over the last 10 days or two weeks? So in the last two weeks, we, we've seen kind of um, a bit of an exponential increase, actually, in the quantity of ads that are that are circulating online. Um, a, a pattern we've noticed for a while is while we have the kind of the main campaign groups who are sort of doing their ads, there's been this sort of phenomenon of um, kind of pages popping up. So Facebook pages are the thing you need to set up to do an ad. Uh, pages sort of popping up um, that are targeting people with specific messages, some of them untrue, um, some of them a little bit manipulative, some of them just basically graphic and slightly disturbing. Um, targeting people with no information about where they came from or, you know, um, who has kind of paid for them. Uh, and then they might get taken down or the page might just sort of like vanish and go away. And so we don't know whether or not those sort of tactics are you know, just some person in their bedroom deciding that they want to target women with graphic images that day um, or groups who have a strongly held view who want to run an ad because basically anybody anywhere in the world can do this. We don't know if kind of that's what it is or what percentage of that is, is it. We don't know what percentage of it is actually a coordinated effort in order to, you know, segment messages. And if this is part of sophisticated campaign tactics that we've seen elsewhere. And we don't know what percentage of it is overseas groups who are trying to influence the outcome of this referendum. Basically, we're kind of in the dark. Um, the people who do know are in Facebook, um, you know, in, the, in relation to this ad. And when it comes to a lot of the other ads are Google. Um, they're not telling us what they're seeing. They're not telling us the transactions that they're processing. They're not telling us anything, really. Um, and so this is why what we're pushing for is kind of just to have like a minimum level of transparency around. Given that there's no legislation the and no there's regulation around. Absolutely no legislation, absolutely no regulation uh, in this in this domain. We've known this for a while. It's kind of a crisis point now. So I think we are, uh, you know, going to have to see a regulatory and legal response to this finally, which is great. And actually, I think there's an opportunity for us to be the best in the world at this. You know, I'm kind of asking around. I work internationally and I'm kind of asking around, has anybody got like sample legislation? Because, you know, in Ireland, we love that, you know, that we can sort of copy and paste. Um, and it doesn't it doesn't really exist out there. And, you know, uh, people are saying to me, you know, Ireland is in such a strong position because we ban TV and radio ads. You know, we have we have that kind of like bar is quite high. Um, and so, uh, you know, um, in a way, we're behind because we're not just transferring our TV and radio policies onto digital. You know, um, we're kind of starting from scratch. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I think we can sort of um, be in a kind of world leading position so quite, quite skip, quickly. Skip that middle ground and move straight to legislation that's appropriate to 
to the kind of world in which we live in now. Exactly, yeah. And and I think we, we can set the tone for, for the rest of the world. And the rest of the world is watching. You know, there's there's a huge opportunity here for the government to uh, to, to, to to be the, the, the leaders in this and, and other countries will follow. Pat, what happened over the last week? There seemed to be a real shift in the mood, both in the... The, the nature of the debate about the unregulated online space, uh, the things that were being said about it, and then the actions taken first by Facebook when it, when it banned foreign ads, and then by Google with the much more dramatic move of banning all ads. Yeah, I think in response uh, to the concerns raised by Liz's groups, but also individual awareness of the intensity of online advertising that was growing very significantly as we approached polling day, Um, I I think there was a a realisation dawning and we had Gavin uh, talking about this the other day and he was of the the, he was of the view that, uh, you know, that the campaign would be swayed towards the no side by the volume of online advertising and campaigning. Some or much of which is entirely uh, uh, entirely legitimate, uh, not 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 all of it, but um, but the volume uh, that 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 he was observing uh, in that space was likely to sway the uh, was likely to sway the result, and I think that uh, that kicked off a lot of alarm bells, uh, not just in the overall yes campaign, and presumably in uh, those parts of government which are backing uh, a yes campaign, but also more significantly. I think in uh, in in Google and in Facebook. Now we don't know what processes within these companies led them to take they are extremely the extremely opaque decisions. Uh, I asked them specifically on a number of occasions, and for their own reasons, they uh, they they elected not to shed any light. And even the statements that both companies issued really uh, didn't give any satisfactory explanation as to what had happened to leave the, uh, to bring them to make this decision, which in both cases is the only time they've ever done this anywhere in the world. So it's very, very significant, yeah, very, very significant yeah. moves. It would also be highly unlikely, and I'm speculating now, but it would be highly unlikely, I feel, had those decisions been made locally. I rather suspect that these were decisions made uh, in the headquarters of uh, of, of these companies. And uh, for whatever reason they made uh, these decisions, again, to speculate, uh, I, I, I think they may have feared looking at the warnings and the fears elsewhere that the online campaign would sway. We know, you know, from polls, we know that the state of the campaign is that the yes has a, a, a significant lead. I think they were afraid that that would be diminished and ultimately overturned by online uh, by the online campaign to the extent that they would then be called to account in a post-referendum scenario for the influence that their platforms had exerted on the democratic process here. And I think that that was not a conversation that either company would want to be in. So, Sarah, I would be very concerned. And uh, I think this this point has been articulated by the no side, by John McGurk, for example, of Save the Eighth over the last 20, 24 hours, that a private company, because it's concerned about the way in which a public a democratic vote is going in a country in which it operates, makes a significant commercial decision in the last stages of that campaign, which may or may not, but certainly may, have an impact on how that campaign turns out and is not 
there is no way of holding it to account or even getting it to explain why it has made that decision. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think we were all a little bit taken back by the Google decision in particular. Facebook, to a lesser extent, because of organisations like uh, uh, Transparent Referendum Initiative, because that you have been meticulous in, you know, following the ads that have been, been made available to you. But in terms of Google, I think it was a bit of a bolt from the blue. There was pressure placed on the organisation, um, but I don't think anyone saw it coming. And I think without prejudice in their uh, decision, because we, as you said, we don't know why they did what they did and they won't answer questions from Pat and other journalists as to why they did it. I think it was a bit of a PR uh, stunt or a PR move from them um, that they thought that would buy them perhaps good publicity by uh, making the move in which they did. But I think by neglecting to explain why they did what they did and offer a real explanation to people um, has created, a, you know, a, a worse situ- situation and scenario for Google and Facebook. Well, it kind of illustrates the, 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 the core problem, doesn't it? The, the, the underlying problem, which is that they are unconstrained by any regulation or law and they can do whatever they want and not have to explain it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's typical Irish politics in a way when something like this happens, you know, we're all calling for... Uh, legislation to regulate the online advertisements and so forth. I mean, there was a bill before the House not so long ago by Fianna Fáil TD, James Lawless, which went some way to address these issues. It didn't go all the way, by the way, but it was a, it was a, it was a good attempt. It was a good starting point. It was a very good starting point. And the government opposed it and made no attempt to amend it or to, um, you know, t- to bring it to committee stage, which is often the case in this minority government. They opposed it outright. And now we have, you know, every Tom, Dick and Harry uh, telling us we need legislation on this particular issue when the government itself opposed. So, Liz, what I was wondering was, now that these changes have come through, what kind of effect they're going to have and what impact they're going to have on the digital debate over the next two weeks? Yeah, um, I mean, that's that's the kind of the million dollar question, isn't it? Um you know, what, what I find quite interesting is we've been talking about this issue for quite some time and we've been hearing kind of over and over again, listen, digital isn't that important in Ireland. You know, yeah. the, even kind of you know, people saying to us, it's not really a part of our strategy and campaign. And then sort of, you know, this week, uh, I'm hearing a very kind of different narrative uh, to what's been going on. I mean, the, the truth is that the people who kind of have an accurate view of how much was being spent in total across the platforms are the companies themselves. And, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with Sarah, there's, there's, there's a real level of kind of ambiguity about why this decision was made, which is quite worrying. And I think what the companies need to do is to give us the same information on which they were basing their decisions. Uh, you know, like they, Google talked about election integrity. Frankly, that's not Google's job. That's kind of you know, the government's job or at a minimum, the media's job to sure, be Sure, I mean, that figuring. raised my hackles immediately when they said that Google say that they're going to protect the electoral integrity of the country of which I'm a citizen. Yeah, and, and also, um, uh, you know, I, I actually, I think that Facebook in their statement gave a little bit more information. They did talk about... Um, kind of the ambiguity in the law. And we know that they have referred a few ads to SIPO, um, ads where it looks like an outside foreign group was kind of promoting content for a domestic group. 
Um, and so, you know, it, it could be that the platforms are sort of, you know, um, seeing some examples of where this is happening. And, and maybe, you know, Pat, you were saying about like, could this end up in the courts afterwards? It could also be that, you know, um, they have information about things which they thought were legally ambiguous. You know, Google have a lot of lawyers and that is sort of, you know, tends to be the way that they approach a lot of these things. But what, but what really kind of like I, I it kind of irked me a bit today was, um, you know, hearing RT shock, like the most powerful man in the country saying, you know, that he thought that um, like Facebook's like, you know, decision was welcome, but it was a bit late. You know, and I was kind of thinking, well, this isn't Facebook's decision. This is, you know, uh, this is our democracy and this is our set of rules. And if ultimately these companies have been forced to do quite a drastic measure this close to a referendum because of whether it's legal ambiguity or whether it's their insights into behavior that they think might be outside of the kind of the bounds of what's acceptable. And they're making this decision, like where are the government? And, you know, um, James Lawless's bill has been progressing, you know, and he has been talking about this. But ultimately what needs to happen is not a standalone bill that kind of treats social media as something special. We need reform to the Electoral Acts. We need the Election Commission, which has been promised in, you know, programme for government after programme for government. And we've had committees talking about it. And there's a bit of turkeys voting for Christmas on this, you know, um, asking, asking politicians to reform the Electoral Acts. But, you know, how are we going to deal with um, an election this year or next year in a context whereby one of the major means for people to communicate with the electorate have themselves said, we can't operate in this environment because, you know, we feel like electoral integrity is at stake. What do you think of the fact that that in the last few days, all of a sudden this debate has become very weaponized with the no and the yes sides in in opposite camps. I'm not saying that the yes side have all hailed and welcomed this the, these booths with open arms, but they haven't been particularly upset about them, whereas the no side has been very upset. I mean, you were set, you, you, you set up your body as, a, as an independent organisation to monitor all ads across the spectrum, but now this has become a, an actual bone of contention within the campaign itself. I mean, you could say this has been a bone of contention for, you know, since since we started. Like, if you look at my Twitter mentions, uh, you you could argue that this issue has actually been weaponized, you know, for, for quite a lot longer. I mean, I think we're kind of in the heat of this at the moment. We are two weeks out. Absolutely everything that happens in the next two weeks is going to be contentious and weaponized. I think, you know, taking a step back, though, and looking at this as about the integrity of our of our of our system and our, of our democracy, you know, um, what are the things that we are going to do to secure and to make sure that voters are going to the polls with the information that they need about what's been happening and can trust the kind of information environment that they're in? You know, like I, I think we there's a danger that we're kind of all in this tunnel vision about, you know, about, about the next two weeks. But this is this is much bigger. It's a, actually, it's a much bigger problem. So, but does this, does this make this a good week for the no campaign? A- bad week for the yes campaign or the other way around oh definitely the other way around i think um i think uh, not so much facebook's move but uh, though i wouldn't dismiss that either but certainly google's move has thrown the yes or the no strategy uh into and it hasn't thrown it into confusion. It has certainly undermined it. So the plan from the no side was always, they always understood that they were going to be behind going into the final days. They had planned um, uh, to spend a lot of money a big online, push, a big, push. big push in the last three days 
targeting undecided voters and soft yes voters, which they figured they could turn in the final days, hammering home doubts on two principal themes. One, the 12 weeks, they, they push the uh, pushing the case that this is a step too far. And secondly, the you can't trust politicians theme. They were to be the big themes, particularly of the last couple of days, directed at, uh, at undecided voters. And that was the campaign strategy uh, to win, to get to 50% plus one on the day. I think that that now becomes much more more difficult. It doesn't mean it's impossible. Although but they, can it comes it much fa- more they can spend some of that money on Facebook, can't they? They can. Yeah, they can. But uh, I think they were heavily dependent on both Google and YouTube advertising to reach that demographic because they feel that they're they're, they're, they're fighting an uphill battle going through traditional media, which many of them view. They view much of the media as being biased against them. And um, so the, the online element and, you know, I've been talking to people on that side, both sides of the campaign, of course, but people on that side of the campaign as far back as last year when they were talking about this as part of the strategy that would ultimately be employed by them. And I think that strategy has now been undermined by this move. And in in relation to not being on Google anymore, Liz, is there a qualitative difference between the kind of advertising? It seems to me, as you know, when I looking at my desktop or my phone, that, you know, pre-rolls on YouTube and, you know, AdWords on Google are a different kind of experience for the for the online user than something you'll come across in your Facebook feed. So the, the Google ads are, well, they're both much more kind of sophisticated um, and and expensive than than the Facebook ones. But also the reach is is just completely different. So you have to actually go on Facebook to see Facebook ads. You don't have to be anywhere near a Google app to see the ads. You know, if, if an ad pops up in uh, in your classic FM app or in a news app or in your email client or when you're looking at a news source, um, those ads are run by Google. So, you know, um, in, in a way, uh, Google kind of runs most of the advertising spaces that exist on the internet. Um, it requires a certain level of sophistication and, and normally kind of working through agencies in order to get your ads into those spaces. So this is, you know, it, it is removing from play quite a big, you know, kind of range of digital billboards, as it were. I want to just as the clock is ticking us a little bit, Sarah, it does seem to me, I don't know what you think, that perhaps because of these events of the last couple of days, that the, the temperature of the campaign has risen a bit um, this week as we approach you know, the final fortnight. You were given the unenviable task of being the Irish Times fact checker on the main issues, the bones of contention. Um, how's that been for you? Wonderful. <laughs> been met with such warmth and... Some such a friendly, friendly tone on social media. I take it it's very fractious, is it? Look, I think you know when you fact checked anyone's anyone's posters and anyone's literature. Um, you know, people on some one side, the side that you fact check, are not necessarily always going to like the result in which you reach. And we saw that yesterday, in particular, when I concluded that the poster, which says that abortion would be legalised up to six months, was misleading. Um, And I made that, uh, I came to that verdict on the basis that um, abortion will not be legalised up to the six month of pregnancy. In fact, it will be legalised in very specific circumstances up to the six month of pregnancy. And had the uh, no side, had the Save the Eighth campaign, put that on their posters, abortion would be legalised in very specific circumstances up to 24th week of pregnancy. a bigger poster or a smaller print. Well, the Irish Times would have found it to be true. Mm. Um, but on the basis that the poster simply says, well, if there's a couple of uh, variations. The first one is six months is horrific. If killing a baby at uh, six months 
um, offends you or, or I can't remember the exact word, vote no. And um, the third one being that the government is seeking to uh, legalise abortion up to six months. So we found that one to be misleading, um, which was a bone of contention on uh, social media by some of the no side yesterday, um, which I... I did my best to challenge as much as one possibly can on social media, um, but look, I mean, I expect you expect that when you start when you start probing behind the the headlines and you actually delve into the facts. And you know, I said here last week that it isn't just about fact checking one side of the campaign; it's about fact checking both sides of the campaign. And today we fact check I fact checked a claim by those who are advocating a yes vote, and that is, um, can you? can you legislate for abortions in the cases of fatal fetal abnormalities if the Eighth Amendment is not repealed? We found that to be true um, on the basis of advice given by the Attorney General on two occasions. Um, and we reached that we reached that verdict um, yesterday. We'll continue to fact check throughout the course of the campaign. I think, as, as Liz has said, it's really important that people in particular in this debate get accurate information um, and you know social media and online uh, media in particular give can give out deliberate uh, misinformation um, min- min- uh, information can be manipulated to the benefit of one side of uh, the campaign it's our job as uh, the media um, as the Irish Times to hold those people who are making those claims and those allegations to account and to do our best to deliver accurate impartial information uh, throughout the course of this referendum campaign because uh, one thing that the debate over social media and online media has actually uh, not 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 in this country as of yet but in other countries is that people have come back to traditional media um, uh, for impartial and trustworthy information. And, you know, throughout the course of this referendum campaign, I think that on reflection, when people look back at the Irish Times coverage, they will find that we held both sides of the campaign uh, to account throughout the course of this campaign. This is a highly contentious issue. You have two highly partisan sides who are looking for any advantage and any finding that they uh, are, are, are any story in a newspaper or online or wherever that they don't like, people will, the partisans will naturally attack that. We've had that from both sides and I expect that will continue uh, over the course of the campaign. Is there a danger that, that, that journalists say, oh, we're being attacked by both sides, therefore we're doing our job well? No, it is not evidence uh, that you're doing your job well if you're attacked by both sides. They could be both right. But if you're only attacked by one side, then I think you have some questions to ask yourself. Liz, as somebody who I think understands digital media very well, lots of people have said that the way in which media has changed the way we think and the way we engage in political debates as well is that everybody gets their own opinions serviced, you know, that your narrative becomes the narrative that surrounds you in the digital space in a way that it didn't perhaps exist previously in the way in the way that media operated. What role do you think does fact checking, the kind of fact checking that Sarah is doing, what role does that have within the kind of the digital debate when you've got a really contentious issue like this? Do you think it makes a difference at all? I think it's absolutely it's absolutely crucial. Um, you know, we like I've I've kind of seen people using fact checks by the Irish Times, by another publication called the Journal. Yeah, we know um, we don't mind them. That's yeah, you, you've you've heard of them. Uh, you know, I'm in, not familiar with it. I... But um, I, I think, it, but where I have kind of seen it happen is I think more 
in the kind of the closed spaces. So maybe where, you know, um, a, a relative might post something and then it kind of like somebody else may come back and counter it with some of this information. I think giving people those tools to be able to, you know, point to a brand that people trust and know, and that is the Irish Times, which has looked into this in detail, is crucial. But, you know, on, on the kind of the question of these filter bubbles, like uh, I, I actually think Ireland is different than other countries where the people have retreated into these digital spaces. And I think the balance doctrine that we have in, in, in all our broadcast media is crucial to that. I don't think there's anybody in this country who has only heard one side of this debate. And I think that, you know, uh, the US got rid of their balance doctrine years ago and they're paying the price for it. Um, I, but, um, you know, and, and, and secondly as well, I think the the kind of the, the level of engagement and interactions that we're having, you know, in the real world, like kind of offline uh, is much deeper than what I see in other countries. Like I saw I've, 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 I've lived in the UK. I was in the US for the for the Trump election. People were people don't knock on doors. They don't you know, you, you don't see a poster in the UK when there's a general election on like it's it, you know, it's much easier to kind of retreat into your bubble. So in some ways, like I think we are much better positioned as a country to deal with the digital stuff. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not important and it doesn't mean that we can just sort of continue with this complete lack of, you know, of 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 insight into what's happening or of kind of regulation around activity. Yeah. Do you think as well that this referendum just offers an opportunity, of course, in the digital sphere too, but as well to look at some of the regulations that define print and broadcast media too? Because one of the things in particular in broadcast media that um, I, I know from broadcast colleagues is, is quite frustrating for them is that there is an unwillingness or an inability to challenge some of the claims that are being made on both sides of the referendum campaign because they are um, a little bit hamstrung by the, re- the rules and regulations that define them. You know, there was a particular instance uh, yesterday where a claim was made um, as part of a package on a particular uh, broadcast channel and that claim went unchallenged for three to four hours And it was a claim which said that one in six women who have terminations uh, take their own lives, that commit suicide. There is no basis for that fact whatsoever. But that was allowed to go unchallenged for three hours. That's a failure on the part of the broadcaster, though, rather than the regulations, isn't it? Because that's really not, you know, not very impressive. It was a part of a package. And one would have thought that when the package was concluded, that the presenter or the uh, person who created the package would have clarified that that wasn't the case. So I do think this referendum offers an opportunity, maybe post-referendum, for it not just to be defined to digital media, but also to examine the rules and regulations in broadcast. Well, indeed, and it's, it's, rather, it's rather optimistic, and I, I share that optimism that, that some, some good may come of all this in, in, that, in that regard as well, in, as well as in others. Thanks very much for joining us. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. You can find us at irishtimes.com slash politics. Uh, you can mail me at hlinhan at irishtimes.com, and you can always find me on Twitter. But until the next time, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening.